Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have got one heck of a show for you today, ladies and gentlemen, because we have got the statistics that we have been waiting for for the best part of two weeks. And I'm going to tell you something quite shocking. We have now got more people living in this country than we have ever had in the history of Great Britain, okay? At no time have we had more people living in this country than we have now. The net migration figure has come out this morning, just about half an hour ago. 606,000 is what it is to December uh, 2022. The problem is, of course, that that only tells half the story because the real story is how many people have actually come here, not how many people have come here, minus the number of people who have left. We'd like to ask the Prime Minister about it, of course, but he's decided he's going to give an interview to somebody else. And do you know who he's going to give an interview to? Is he going to give it to the BBC? No. Is he going to give it to Sky? No. Is he going to give it to Bloomberg? No. Is he going to give it to CNBC? No. Is he going to give it to the Daily Mail or the Sun or the Times? No. He's going to give it to ITV's This Morning, the most toxic show in the history of television. I mean, if Rishi Sunak doesn't have enough problems, he's sitting on the sofa just as we speak, talking to the replacement of Holly and Phil. I mean, does he got no moral compass whatsoever? Does he not know that that's a, a show which has not only lost about two to 300,000 listeners over the course of the last week because of all the shenanigans that have been going on? He's sitting there trying to justify how it is possible for a place like Britain to involve themselves in importing more people than ever than have ever lived here. This is a place where we have supposedly got tough on immigration. This particular government is supposed to be a Tory government. It's supposed to have taken back control of our borders. Well, let me tell you, you might as well not have any bleeding borders because anybody can walk in here. If you can't get here legally, don't worry. You just jump on a boat over in Normandy and come over on a dinghy. That's fine. Not a problem at all. Talk about an absolute and utter shambles. What is going on? Here's the real story, okay? 925,000 people have come here from non-EU countries in one year alone to the end of 2022. 235,000 of them came to work, apparently. 361,000 of them came to study. 51,000 of them came to join families. 172,000 came through humanitarian routes. 76,000 came seeking asylum. 29,000, we are told, came for other reasons. Of those people who arrived on study-related visas, Something like 41,000 extra were dependents. So we've effectively got about 100,000 people coming here to join their families who are already here studying. Brilliant. 
Marvellous. Fantastic. No wonder you can't get a bleeding doctor. No wonder you can't get a bloody dentist. And no wonder you can't go anywhere without waiting in a queue for about four hours. Migration nation indeed. We're all over this today. We will be bringing you an incredible array of guests. We've got Rod Little. We've got Isabel Oakshaw. We've got Matt Goodwin. We've got Peter Cardwell. We've got Rupert Lowe. It's all going on. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham and we're hopping mad. Good morning and welcome to Broken Britain, uh, the place where too many people exist in not enough houses, without any space on the roads uh, and with no trains that run on time. Brilliant. It's all going so well. And Rishi Sunak is on the sofa with this morning. Shame he missed Phil Schofield. He could have gone on last week. He's not there anymore. Um, he, I wonder if he's going to leave the country. That's another story. Let's talk to Peter Cardwell. He's talk radio's political editor. He's live with us right now outside the Home Office. Peter, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, there's some very interesting breakdowns now of these figures which we've got. The big number for me is the 925,000 who came here. Um, what do we know about the people who have actually left? Because we're told the net number is 606,000. So I'm assuming um, that was something of the order of like four to 500,000 people have gone out of the country. Do we know anything about who they are? Yes, we do. I mean, a lot of them will have been foreign students who will have left. There will be people who've moved abroad for other reasons. They've gone back to the countries that they've gone to already. Or they're British people who've decided to emigrate. And that's one of the problems in terms of things like GPs, for example, who are looking at perhaps a better life, better conditions, more money in places like Australia and New Zealand. People deciding to move with their families and then the people perhaps coming into this country maybe don't have the same skills. So we do have 1.1 million job vacancies in this country. We have more people than ever. We 1.3 million people who are able to work but don't, as well as these huge immigration statistics. And what's interesting, as well as the fact that there are record statistics, is what the government is saying it will do. Boris Johnson said he wanted to get to below 250,000. David Cameron previously talked about the tens of thousands, so under 100,000. All Rishi Sunak will say is that he wants it to be under what he inherited, which was half a million. That's still a lot of people, extra people, every single year. And actually, in just a few minutes, we're going to uh, know, we're going to see in the House of Commons that there will be an urgent question from the Shadow Home Secretary, Yvette Cooper. I've been asking the Home Office whether it's going to be the Immigration Minister, Robert Jenrick, or the Home Secretary herself, Sheila Braverman, who's not doing any interviews today at all. You would think that she probably would, but she hasn't, uh, or she isn't going to anyway, to answer the question of these statistics, to say, you know, 606,000 more people in the country, that's a lot of pressure on public services, that's a lot of pressure on GPs, on schools and hospitals and all the rest of it, to say nothing of housing, which is one of the biggest problems this country has. And as far as uh, Rishi Sunak, he suddenly decided he wants to go onto the world's most toxic television sofa at, the, at this morning show uh, to talk about immigration figures with the people on there. Not quite sure why he would make that decision, are you? It's a bizarre decision in terms of what to do. I mean, what often happens in these situations is that, the, as you know, Mike, political leaders sometimes give what's called a pool clip. So they talk to one broadcaster and then all broadcasters get that clip in terms of his reaction. But in terms of a, a nice cosy chat on the sofa with Dermot and Allison, or I think it's Craig Doyle and Allison Hammond, actually, I'm not sure. I'm sure they're very good interviewers and professionals and all the rest of it. But I don't think even they would argue that the toughest interviewers in Britain. And I think that uh, a lot of people will say, the Prime Minister, the Home Secretary, the Immigration Minister should probably be giving an interview to, uh, you know, hard to me. journalists who are going to ask well, really, really really to me. Well, he should be giving an interview to me. 
He should be giving yeah. an interview to some proper news organisations, not to, you know, this morning, the soft shoe shuffle brigade, uh, who've probably got, uh, you know, researchers currently trying to find somebody who might have known Tina Turner. You know, I find it very, very odd behaviour. And as, uh, we've also asked Robert Jenrick to come on, uh, and we haven't heard back from his office, never mind uh, getting the courtesy of a reply. You know, I find it extraordinary that this is a massive day for the government, a massive day for this country. As I said at the start of this show, we have never had more people living in this country um, and yet the government seems to think that uh, they're in charge of the immigration department. I don't think they are, and I think that a lot of this shows as well. We were told with Brexit we would take back control of our borders, and actually, interestingly, if you think, if you look at the breakdown of the statistics, there are something like 180,000 people from Ukraine who have come to the country in the last year. There are 52,000 people who have come from Hong Kong, and I don't think too many people would argue too much with that in terms of those uh, the political strife in those countries. There will be well, there will be concerns about the numbers, of course, but the fact that you know we are a welcoming nation, but when it goes up to six. 606,000 people from right around the world when we're meant to have control of our borders. We're meant to have control of our borders from the EU, where that number, the number of EU migrants, is falling, for example. But from the rest of the world, it's just going up. Yeah. It's going up to the highest level ever, a record level. And that's something a lot of people will be justifiably very concerned about this morning. And according to the breakdown that I've got in front of me here, uh, we've got something like 925,000 coming in from outside, of course. Um, it says 76,000 came seeking a and we're continually told uh, by the lefty lawyers and the kind of, you know, uh, open borders brigade that there are no safe routes for asylum seekers, but clearly there are. Well, there are nine safe routes, actually, um, from Hong Kong, for example, from Ukraine. Uh, there are safe routes to this country. To say there are no safe routes is just false. Yeah. In terms of asylum seekers, we've got some information on that as well this morning. 172,000 asylum seekers in this country awaiting decisions. They're caught on the Home Office backlog. And uh, yet more problems there. The Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman saying they're putting more, uh, more uh, civil servants into that, making decisions more quickly to see whether people have a genuine an asylum claim or whether this should be sent back. The Rwanda policy still not up and running. The borders bill still going through Parliament. So the government is, I suppose, trying to take some action on this, but getting it down to as low a level as David Cameron was talking about 10 years ago, that just seems a distant dream, really. I mean, Stella Braverman talks about her dream of sending people to Rwanda and getting immigration levels down to a manageable level. Well, that seems very, very far off and just a dream, really, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely right. Peter, thanks very much indeed. We'll be coming back to you again very shortly. Peter Cardwell, talk radio's political editor there, breaking down the figures for us, telling us precisely what is going on uh, down from the Home Office there. But extraordinary that the government doesn't see fit uh, to do anything other than put the Prime Minister up uh, on the this morning couch, sofa, whatever you want to call it. You know, just a bizarre decision and a very, very odd one, it seems to me. Let's talk now, though, to Rupert Lowe, former MEP, of course, because uh, he'll have plenty to say about these numbers. Two things, it seems to me, will come out of this, right? Um, as far as the small boats are concerned, we'll give you those figures. Those are different figures that will come in uh, shortly and we'll bring you those as well. But around about 45,000 people came in on small boats in 2022. Almost half of them uh, were Albanian or Afghan. Uh, and so, you know, we know that uh, 50% of those people coming are either from Afghanistan or Albania. We're sending loads of Albanian people back. Um, 97% of small boat asylum applications the latest year are still awaiting a decision. But the big number for me is the number of non-EU workers who have come here 925,000 in 2022. They're not all working. Um, most of the um, visas have been granted to dependents in this case from India and Nigeria. 
So that is a figure which is around about 76,000 or thereabouts. People who have not come here to work, people who have not come here to study, people who have come here as dependents of other people who are already here from those countries. It's a complete and utter mess, isn't it? This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We've got Rod Little coming up later on. We've got Isabel Oakshot coming up as well. Rupert Lowe is here. We're going to get to him in one second. The big figure we need to know about, 925,000 non-EU nationals have come to this country uh, in 2022 alone, followed by 151,000 EU nationals uh, and British people, 88,000, coming home, presumably, uh, because they can't stand it is wherever it is they are living. Um, let's go to, uh, to Rupert Lowe, though, and find out now. 1.2 million people extra moved to the UK. UK in 2022. Now, you can say uh, that some people did leave, and that's true, uh, which brings the figure back to around about 606,000. But that means there is more people now in this country, um, and an additional number which is equal to the size of Bristol or equal to the size of Glasgow. Take your pick. And it's a lot of people, isn't it? Rupert, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Um, This is an extraordinary day. Because we've been waiting for it a long time. We were told the figures were going to be somewhere between 750 and a million. Um, you know, I smell a slight amount of Tory uh, cabinet management there because they're hoping that we're all going to go, oh, it's only 600,000. That's not so bad. Well, we're not going to say that because 600,000 is bad. It's too many people. Many people have come as dependents of those already here studying. We know there's rackets going on. Uh, what do you make of it all? Well, first of all, let me say I'm soaking up the common sense and enjoying it. Uh, there's not much left in, in <laughs> Britain. Um, so I think the answer is 80-seat majority, more total Tory failure. Yes. And uh, whichever way you look at it, whether you look at David Cameron or you look at Theresa May or you look at Rishi Sunak, this is just a trend that continues. And I think... You know, you've done a lot of analysis on the figures, probably more than me. But I mean, just talking principally, I think what we have here is a government that is supposed to be managing the country a bit like a a board of a company manages a company in the interest of the British people in the same way that a company is managed in the interest of its shareholders. Yes. What you're seeing is complete failure. And I, I think it's I think it's brought about by the fact that that anyone who says what you and I are discussing in a common sense way is accused of being a racist, which is poppycock. What we're trying to do is ensure we have a sustainable country where those people living here have the services that they need to live their lives in a free way and effectively look after their families, educate their children uh, and and enjoy themselves, which is ultimately, you know, the, the job of government is to protect us all. They're clearly not doing that. And I think what is interesting is what we're seeing is people coming in because companies, these are, a lot of these are public companies owned by undifferentiated pools of pension capital who are very different to the private businesses that are the backbone of Britain. And what they're saying is we need this labor to cover uh, effectively labor shortages. Well. Then we come on to benefit fraud, and, and obviously we not we want a society where we look after genuinely uh, uh, disadvantaged people. We've always done that in this country through the friendly societies, but we we haven't got that at the moment. We've got a situation where skivers can effectively sign themselves off with no vetting, no proper vetting, uh, and as a result, we've got a culture of benefit fraud and indolence. So. What, 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 what I think this immigration does is it just keeps wages low. It encourages that. 
And we've seen, I think, from, you know, the, the, the fact we couldn't get drivers to drive uh, lorries uh, after Brexit. Mm. That's now cured itself because we're actually training people properly. We're paying people properly and we're actually doing what a sensible economy does. And that's invest yes. in you know, long term investment in infrastructure and services to effectively generate exports and increase the wealth of the average person mm. here. Well, that's what? the point, isn't it? I mean, the whole point of Brexit was to raise the standard of pay, to raise wages for British workers, not to continually import foreign cheap labour. Well, that's what we should be doing. Germany, Germany, to, to our credit, you know, I, I don't like a lot of things German, but at the end of the day, what they did do, and I used to work for Deutsche Bank, they did invest long-term post-war in what I describe as proper long-term investment projects. And as a result of that, you know, Germany never suffered from a stronger mark because she, she was getting more and more productive. And actually, it's very good for people to be forced to become productive because their currency is strong. It's a, it's a, it's a hallmark of correct, aligned investment, whereas what, what we've done is completely different. Mm. The, the other point I want to make on this is that I meet lots of people. I, I, I call this the Atlas Shrugged moment. I don't know whether you've read Atlas Shrugged, but it's, it's no. written by a woman called Ayn Rand, who's an absolutely fantastic book, which everybody should read. And ultimately what happens is when socialism runs too rife, the productive economy withdraws its, its preparedness to fund all this nonsense. And I think, you know, when you ask a question about who's leaving the country, the answer is I see the most able entrepreneurs now leaving the country, along with the doctors and the professionals and the people who actually can improve our quality of life, because they they see a country that's run by, uh, it's, 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 it's basically the, the offices of the country that the ministers are halfwits, the civil service is, is malign. And at the end of the day, I think they've decided it's time to move out and, and, and move somewhere where they can make a better life for themselves. And whether that's a Portuguese golden visa or whether it's moving to Australia or New Zealand or countries which, you know, I think offer them a better quality of life. And we haven't got the prospect of a Labour government, which would be far worse than what we currently got. Yes. I, I think the only the only thing the British people can do now, if they've got any sense... They've got to vote for the Reform Party or somebody from outside the political establishment who actually can look at this from outside and change the way in which everything mm. works. That's the only solution. Otherwise, we are we're in a doom loop. But if we're in, in a doom loop, as you suggest, and I don't think you're wrong about that, you know, there comes a time surely when the numbers simply outweigh uh, the positivity that even these bozos think they can convince us of. Because at the end of the day, we've got these dependents coming in, uh, many of them coming in from India and Nigeria. You know, they're not going anywhere if they're bringing their families here. They're presumably going to stay. Nobody can get a house. Nobody can get a doctor. Nobody can get a dentist. People are going to be asking the question, well, how many more is enough? When is enough? Mike, why why is a foreign student coming here to, 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 to study allowed to bring in members of their family? It's bonkers. It is bonkers. I mean, you would never do that. You, if I, I went to live in America for 10 years, right? Um, I went in and worked as a journalist, got a proper journalistic visa. I paid my taxes there. Uh, I did all the things that you're supposed to do right. But what I didn't do was turn up with three kids and expect them to be looked after by the state because that's not how America works. Well, this is the other thing. If, if we made it tougher uh, for people who come here, they don't get handouts from, from the British taxpayer. Well, it's not the British taxpayer. It's actually printed by Andrew Bailey and that deficient Bank of England, yes. which 
I noticed today they're now complaining that there aren't enough risk takers in the country. Well, Andrew Bailey worked for the PRA and then the and then the FCA. And effectively, what they did was they forced everybody into collective investment vehicles and got rid of any risk takers. Now they're complaining there's no risk taking <laughs> risk. Well, well, they've created that situation a bit like they've, you know, it's not Putin and it's not Liz Truss that's created inflation. It's them from printing too much money yeah. uh, to avoid reality. And this is what we've got to do is accept. We need to accept some reality and in, 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 in and benefit fraudsters and, and people should be vetted properly. They should, it should be made difficult to get benefits. Why should honest, decent, taxpaying citizen fund this huge sort of morass of non-working people. It's wrong. It really is. I've got a tweet here from David who says, I'm one of the statistics that has left our country. I'm a chartered engineer and unfortunately in a global market I get a better standard of living, get paid more, pay less tax and can see a dentist and when I choose to live overseas I'll come back when the UK improves. There'll be a lot of people like that. It's happening. It's happening, Mike. This is what this is the worrying thing. So we're losing the good ones. And we've got an untargeted approach to to who comes in here. And the answer to our problem is not to bring in cheap labour, which is unskilled. It's not the answer. That's proven uh, to be the case over 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 time. But again, I read this morning on Twitter. You know, we are allowing we're allowing people to come in to fill jobs in fishing. Well, yeah, why? why? Yeah, exactly. We've got a fishing industry that needs to be rebuilt. We've Given most of it, I know, to the EU as part of our, you know, our withdrawal agreement, but it, it, it's our fishing rights. We should be building those up. We should be investing long term in our fishermen, yeah. as we should be investing in other parts of our economy. But we don't do that. We've got we've got this bizarre situation where, as I say, the officers who run us don't have any interest in actually building a better society. And, no. and to get that, but this has we, been going on for, for, for probably decades, actually, because I remember talking to somebody in the fishing business a couple of years ago who said that in places like, you know, the Norfolk coast and the Fife coast, you know, there used to be dozens and dozens of shipping of fishing boats. There's now sort of single figure numbers like four or five and you're here and there instead of 45 or 55. They've completely denuded the fishing industry and now they reckon they can rebuild it up with foreign labour. It's it's like the, the politics of the madhouse. Well, I'm amazed that the coastal vote, you know, is, is not, uh, you know, completely gone to reform or some other mm. party going to change it, Mike. I, I The Tories have failed them completely. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think, as I've said to you before, Westminster is completely deficient and that doesn't matter whether it's the ministers, yeah. doesn't matter really whether it's, it's, it's the civil service that's supposed to support them. The fact is they're deficient. They don't know what's going on in the real economy. Uh, and frankly, and they don't more, care, doesn't seem. They're, they're more interested in, 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 you know, playing petty politics yeah. over, you know, driving offences. Well, they're too busy reporting well, each other to the police, it seems to me. You know, I know. Maybe, maybe, I know. maybe the police are actually going to do their jobs, round them all up, lock them up for a while, and we can run the country and see if we can get it back on its feet. In the meantime, well, they can languish in, uh, in some kind of open prison for a couple of years, and we'll, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree more. But this is... This this is failure, and you know it's it's confirmation. I mean, goodness knows what next year's figures will be. I mean, I, 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 I would you hasten to guess? Well, I mean, people say who are apologists for this that it will go down partly because Ukraine and Afghanistan and uh, and uh, Hong Kong won't be included. I disagree. I think it'll go up because more and more people will come in. And the bottom line is, is that if just because people are leaving, which reduces the number net, it means we're leaving, as Julie Hartley Brewer says, we're losing skilled workers who are going elsewhere and bringing in waiters. 
I, well, this is the problem, and, I, it, and we've proved over and over again, bringing in cheap labour is not the answer. The answer to it is to invest, it's to long-term investment in your economy. It always has been. Yeah, but absolutely. It's a mad world, Rupert. Listen, appreciate your time. I appreciate your candour and your uh, perspicacity, I think, as well. Rupert Lowe, their former MEP. Matt Vickers is going to uh, join us very shortly, a member of parliament for Stockton South uh, and Conservative Party deputy chairman. We'll get him next on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Jenbo says, just watch the Prime Minister on ITV. Deep searching, interviewing, hard questions asked. He's not daft. No serious questions. Uh, Jacqueline says, it's quite fitting for the Prime Minister to give this morning the first interview. Don't you think, Mike, a broken TV programme interviewing a broken leader of a broken country? Well, that's what the people are saying. Let's talk to Matt Vickers, MP. Uh, he's, of course, the Conservative Party Deputy Chairman, a Member of Parliament for Stockton South as well. Matt, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? All good, all good, yeah. Surviving it all, getting by. Really? Well, I mean, 925,000 people coming in from non-EU countries, many of whom bringing dependents with them. It's a very large number, and an awful lot of people uh, listening to my show this morning and watching it are very unhappy about it. I think, do you know what? It is a huge challenge. It's a challenge that you and I have discussed on many, many occasions during the last two, three years since I was elected. Uh, it's the biggest challenge of the day for many of us. Um, it's one of the priorities of the, of the government. It's one of the priorities of the Prime Minister. But actually, when we look at that net migration figure, yesterday people were talking to me about the fact they expected it to exceed a million. We're on 606,000. And actually, when we start breaking that down, we look at the student visa thing, which the government is now committed to, they're getting a grip of it. We went from 16,000 dependents coming over with students to 136 in recent years. That's something the government is committed to getting a hold of. In this country, people go to university to get away from the parents. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the case there. We need to do something about that. The government's committed to it. They've brought forward a plan for that, which will hopefully reduce numbers by 100 thousand people but this year actually those numbers are exceptional and one of the things that we did rightly in my opinion and rightly in the opinion of people in my part of the world is we brought 114,000 Ukrainians to this country it was the right thing to do uh, it's it's not something that's going to happen every year but it's something we're doing the need is there this year and yeah. we're getting on with it and supporting Ukraine. Yeah, but the fact remains, though, Matt, 1.2 million people came to this country in 2022. That includes some of those Ukrainian numbers, as you say. It includes some people from Hong Kong. Um, but it also includes a massive number of non-EU citizens who have come here for a variety of reasons, many of whom are coming to join their families, many of whom are not coming here to work or to study. Um, and the problem with that is, is that presumably they're going to stay here. We've got pressure on the housing market. We've got pressure on the NHS. We've got pressure on uh, dental work. We've got pressure on the roads. We've got pressure everywhere in the country. People can't get around and they're sick to death of it because it doesn't matter really how many people have left. The, the actual number that's interesting is the number of people that have come in. Well, I think there's, there's two things. I, th I think you do need to break down legal immigration and illegal immigration. And one of the problems that we've got is we've had a labour shortage in recent years. We saw the problems with HGV drivers. We relaxed the conditions there to get more HGVs on our own and support that supply chain. But actually, more than that, we've got people, well, we've got a huge number of economically inactive people in this country, which is, which is, which is part of the problem. But that's your you know, fault, we, isn't it? That's your the fault there. It's huge. your fault. You, you could argue that a huge number of people that come to this country come to work in health and social care. Um, we need them. We do need them. How many of them? How many of them? How many of the one need... point, how many of the 1.2 million people who have come here in 2022 have come to work in health and social care? There is a huge number. Um, I don't well, know how the many? figure off the top of my head, but 
there is, a, there is a huge number. I was looking at where these people are going to work. Those people who arrive here who are not on student visas, who come to work, there is a huge amount of them doing that. And we do need them to do that. Um, but what we need to do actually is get our own population working. We need to look at why people are economically inactive. We need to get a grip on that. We need to put those incentives that mean people do go out to work, earn their living, support themselves and play their part in our economy. Uh, and I think that's part of what the government's doing now. We've seen the changes to the universal credit taper rate. That means it pays you more to get yourself out there and go to work. We've changed the admin threshold. That means actually instead of doing 15 hours a week, that doesn't count. You've got to get out there and do a little bit more. And we're pushing people back into work. In recent years, we've made huge strides forward. When you look but at the there's more people than Blair, ever, though. But hang it was Matt, the summit hang on, for nothing Matt, culture. Now, there's more people than ever who are now economically inactive. And you guys have been in charge for a long time. I don't like giving you going over, but I'm afraid you're going to have to hold your hands up to this because you have created the situation where it's now more possible for more people to do less. I think there's lots being done in that space. Universal credit, the changes that we've put in there have, I mean, it's a massive cultural problem of people whose parents never went to work, whose parents before them never went to work, whose neighbours never got to work. You've got to help them and you've got to help them find a way forward, make them realise that actually you've got to go out and earn a living. It's the way of the world. Um, and one of the things that has come out today that is a good start, that actually, when I became an MP, one of the things that I, I changed my mind about, I heard all these schemes about trying to get people who were ex-offenders into work. I went out there, I saw the life stories of some of the people in these prisons whose parents were offenders. They'd been brought up in a culture of crime. They'd never been given that clip around the ear that our parents gave. One of the fantastic stats that's came out today is the number of ex-offenders who are now in work has doubled in the last two years. People whose lives, they were the people who were going to mug us on the street, they were going to do all sorts of criminal things in our society. Now we have doubled the number of those people in work. There's a hell of a lot more to do. Uh, the big thing for me, or the big thing for people back in Stockholm South, is actually about illegal immigration yeah. and what we're doing on that front. Well, we've got, we've got, well, here's another number for you. 45,755 people came by small boat in 2022. Uh, we know that half of those were either Albanian or Afghan. Right. We also know that an awful lot of the Albanians came here to commit crime and you're deporting them. So um, now Albanian problems may have been sorted out, but we've still got a load of people arriving on our shores. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they've done. They don't know where they've been. Many of them have destroyed their documents. What are you doing about that? That's entirely where we're at. That's exactly what we need to do. Well, that is the biggest issue for me. In numerical terms and today's figures, that's probably slightly inconsequential people will tell you who argue against what we're trying to do on illegal immigration but actually it's a huge deal we've got people arriving on our shores who we don't know where they've come from what they've done uh, and why they wish to be here that number's gone from about well 45,000 we've reached six million a day putting people in hotels yeah not accessible at all uh, what we are doing is we've seen that that mission come forward around the Rwanda scheme they're fighting us all the way in there. The, law court, the lefty lawyers are fighting us all the way. We've got the king of flip-flop who's voted against every single measure we've brought forward to toughen up our immigration well, system. Well, I mean, that's it's, one it's piece, one piece of good news is, is old Keir Starmer is clearly not the answer and you'll have my support on that. But you've got to make sure that the people that you brought with you in 2019 remain with you. Um, and I think that's the toughest thing of all because ordinary people that I speak to on a daily basis, I know you do as well, Matt, you're one of the good guys. But the bottom line is that, you know, this government uh, and in some form or other has been in charge of this country for a long time uh, and things are not any better. In fact, they're probably worse than we were before 2016. Economically, that's not the case, though, is it? We've heard, we've heard what's happening at the minute. We're turning the corner. We've got the green shoots. We've got the bright... Well, that depends judge. who you but talk to. But on illegal immigration... 
Yep, on illegal immigration. I sit in that place and I sit opposite people who campaigned against the deportation of foreign criminals. That's the debate that we're having. That's the people who we sit and have to, neg have to get these things through that part of House of Commons with. Uh, I'll keep doing my bit on behalf of the people of Stockton South to make sure we send those Albanians back to where they came, that we deport those foreign criminals uh, and that we get that Rwanda scheme through the courts, over the line, and we make sure that people are disincentivised from getting in one of those boats, paying those illegal people, smuggling gangs uh, to do the business. Yeah, I mean, we've got enough criminals here. We don't need to import any more. Thanks very much indeed. Um, speaking of Stockton, um, how did it go up there for your uh, local party? We did exceptionally well, actually. We broke, we broke the mould. Uh, in my part of the world, we've had a Labour council for years. In fact, Teesside has been under the Labour cloud for decades and decades and decades. They gave us a chance in 2019, and in Teesside, we're proving our worth. We're delivering for people. We've got upgrades to our train station. I've got a new diagnostic hospital. I've told you about that before. I've got, we've, got, we've got investment coming in. Uh, we've still got this dodgy Labour council that's taxing everybody to the eyeballs. It, council tax went up 38% since 2016. They're employing more people on 100,000 plus wages. They've got two managing directors at the same time. Uh, good Conservative councillors, local champions who are going to deliver for local people and we got more of them elected. Can you explain for me one last thing, Matt? There's an urgent question coming up in the House in a moment which we're going to go live to. Um, why did Rishi Sunak decide to do an interview with this morning? This morning. The most toxic television programme in uh Britain. I d do you know what? I don't know is the answer to that. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm as briefed as you. I right. saw it when you saw well, it. Well, next time you see him, would you mind telling, there, him, yeah? telling him to come and talk to some proper news organisations instead of that? I'll tell him. I'll tell him I love Mike Graham. He should love Mike Graham. He needs to get on this show. There you go. Thank you, Matt. Well played. Uh, see you soon. Uh, by the way, the number of healthcare visas represents 86% of long-term sponsored work visas granted and over half of all work visas granted to main applicants in 2022. So there is something good about that immigration figure. However, there's an awful lot of it which is not so good. Um, this is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a big day uh, on Talk TV today, particularly in the Independent Republic, where we're bringing you the breaking news of the numbers of people coming into this country. They're number around about 1.2 million. Uh, that is a gross figure. That is not a net figure. The net figure goes down to 600 odd thousand. Still, uh, the numbers of people that would fill a city the size of Bristol or fill a city the size of Glasgow. We're going to speak to Professor Carol Sakura, who's got a new book out today uh, on recovering and treating and surviving cancer, very important subject as well. But before we get to him, uh, let's just have a little word about our friend Gary Lineker. You remember him, uh, the guy who thinks that uh, um, the Conservative Party talk about immigration uh, as if they're in the sort of 1930s Germany model, uh, which he was hauled off the air for saying uh, on a tweet and uh, then reinstated some time later. He's now uh, been given an award, believe it or not, flew all the way out to Rome to accept an award for his activism uh, from Amnesty International. So um, I would say that pretty much takes him firmly away from the sporting arena and places him firmly uh, in the commentariat. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind if we said that, because absolutely, Gary Lineker believes himself to be the sainted Gary Lineker. Uh, today, uh, he's been giving interviews to people and talking about the eco-zealots, the just-stop-oil maniacs who have been just stopping traffic for most of the best part of this week. He says that they're heroes. Um, he says that they are people who are trying to fight to save the planet. He says that they are people who, while they might be a bit disruptive, uh, should be admired. 
because what they're doing is saving the human race. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, Gary, but you're talking more claptrap than ever. And the idea that Amnesty International is now giving out a, a sort of herogram and an award for his humanitarian work to a presenter of Match of the Day. I mean, give me a small break. It does seem to me uh, to be slightly over the top. Gary says, uh, we should all be trying to turn governments on, uh, not just relying on a few people that actually do stuff, knowing that they'll probably be locked up. And I kind of admire that in a way. Well, I bet you wouldn't admire it if they started um, processing themselves down his main street where he lives. I bet he wouldn't admire them if they stopped him going anywhere in his very expensive limo. I bet he wouldn't admire them uh, if they made it impossible for him to get to work because that's what they're doing to everybody else. They're out and about again today. Calling these eco-zealots from Just Stop Oil Heroes is only going to encourage them, Gaza. I don't think it's a good idea. So button it, please. And maybe give the award to somebody who really deserves a humanitarian award, not somebody who tweets out about how terrible the Tories are. That's what you get an award for now, apparently. Maybe I should try. Just start attacking the Tory government. Maybe Amnesty International fly me to Rome and give me an award. Wouldn't that be nice? By the way, kind of ironic that he's talking about the eco-zealots being heroes while taking a plane to Rome and back for an award ceremony. Yes, quite. Let's talk to Carol Sikora, Medical Director of Rutherford Cancer Centres, of course, because he's got a new book out um, and it's out today, uh, as far as I know. And it's called Cancer, the Key to Getting the Best Care. And you can see it right now uh, on our screens. Carol, a very good morning to you. Morning, morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, basically, um, this is your area of expertise, your area of speciality. We talk quite often about the NHS in general, and you often tell me that you know the, the cancer business in this country is not getting better, it's getting worse, if anything. What can you tell us about this book and, and, and why people should get it? I think the most important message to patients with cancer and their families that are trying to help them is to, to be informed you know, a lot of people are very passive recipients of care. That's a very British phenomenon. We trust the system. We trust it to see you through in a timely way, that you're getting the right treatments and so on. But we know time and time, I've been a consultant for over 40 years in the NHS, and we know that informed patients, doesn't matter how much money they have, doesn't matter if they've had university education or not, informed patients do better. They understand things and they don't tilt at windmills, you know, thinking they want something that isn't actually for them. And uh, it, it's got even worse now because the NHS is going through a sort of a complete sort of decline post the, the COVID backlog. And it's more important to try and push yourself to the front of the queue if that's going to be important to you to survive. Yes. I mean, you've often said the most important part of, of treatment for cancer really is the uh, initial kind of spotting of it, the diagnosis period. But then also to make sure it's not too long after that before you see a specialist. Absolutely. And we've got two metrics that we use. Uh, one that I was involved in constructing the two week wait to being seen in a hospital where the GP suspects you have cancer. And the second one is once you're diagnosed, you have 62 days before you treat the patient. You know, the two week wait was just invented in the year 2000. I remember the meeting we invented it, it was sort of made up in a pub, more yeah. or less, and no evidence base, just to try and kick start. It was meant that diagnostics should actually be amplified so you could cope so everyone would be seen the next week this just hasn't happened mm. and now there's no chance so i think we've got to do something here 
And how does that begin to become a, um, a worthwhile effort? I mean, how do you speed things up? Because we've got still the possibility of junior doctors going on strike. We've still got uh, the Royal College of Nursing saying they're going to go on strike. Every time they do it, another 100,000 people get delayed, 100,000 procedures get cancelled. You know, it doesn't look to me like they're going to have any t chance of making inroads into the waiting lists. No, I mean, the only way is to use NHS 111 and allow NHS 111, that's the answer service for the NHS, which is very effective. I used to chair the East London one for three years, and it is effective. And to allow it to have more power to com to commission CT scans, MR scans, biopsies and so on, to get things moving, and then 24-7 working uh, in diagnostics. That's the only way. There's no time to build anything. There's no time to recruit people. We've just got to use what we've got to the maximum, just like the vaccine program. Fantastic logistics, you might argue, was it really worth it? But the logistics were impeccable. And I think we need to get that sort of logistic into cancer diagnostics and into treatment. Yes. And the theme of today's show, Carol, is very much based on and focused on immigration because of these numbers that have come out. You know, you can't tell me that an extra 600,000 people net coming into the country in 2022 alone is not going to have some effect and put more pressure uh, on an already kind of creaking NHS. It will do. And it, right from the beginning, from general practice upwards through the hospital service, it, it's all creaking at the seams already. So you add another half million people or more and you're stuck. You're really stuck. So informed patients, whatever the disease they have, whether it's heart disease, stroke, cancer, informed patients do better. Study after study shows it. So get informed. Get informed. And and best way to do that is to have a look at this book. Making the system work for you is one of the lines on the front. Um, so uh, where can people get it? Is it, uh, uh, as they say, in all the good available bookstores? It, and Amazon, everywhere. It's out today, as you say, Mike. Well, good luck with it, Carol. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and appreciate uh, your time. Carol Sikora, Medical Director, Professor, uh, of course, at Rutherford Cancer Centres. The book is called Cancer, The Key to Getting the Best Care. And if you've got loved ones who need uh, any help in that area, in that arena, uh, that's what you should uh, do. Nick says this, Sunak goes on this morning because they will wipe his bottom. The immigration figures are shocking. I pay a lot of tax and I'm wondering why. Mark from Norwich says, don't bother turning in, tuning into ITV. The so-called interview has finished now. I just watched you and them simultaneously. They asked Rishi Sunak when was the last time he cried. That was the only tough question they asked him. Sorry, mate. I'll only watch you from now on. Uh, and from uh, Mark in Beckel says, 600,000 a year in five years will be three million more people overloading our already broken system. And uh, as we said earlier, it all depends on who's actually leaving because it's all very well to say um, that 600,000 is the net figure. 925,000 people came from non-EU countries, 1.2 million people from uh, the, the entire world, including the EU as well. And at the end of the day, that's pl plus 1 million people coming in to do different types of jobs. A lot of them are working in the healthcare sector. A lot of them are working in social care as well. But nevertheless, we don't know that much about who's actually leaving. Um, and Yvonne in Solihull says, thank God for you guys at Talk TV. Help us all, please uh, get a handle on our politicians who have and continue to do this to us Brits. Our future is very grim indeed. I was born in the 1950s, never imagined after sweeping up the bomb damage after World War II, we were betrayed. Well, I think that's a big problem for an awful lot of people because an awful lot of people feel that they've been let down massively by this government, let down massively on immigration, let down massively on all sorts of things like the NHS. Things that have not been improved but have been made worse, and an awful lot of those things are the result of mass immigration in this country. The 
whole place is supposed to be now um, much more difficult to uh, emigrate to. The whole idea of Brexit was to take control of our borders. The whole idea of changing the way our relationship was with the European Union was to protect our borders, to make sure that we absolutely and utterly knew who was coming in. We know that there are illegal migrants coming here, but the legal ones completely and utterly dwarf that figure. It is quite remarkable that we are where we are, and surely something has to change. The numbers now coming in are unsustainable. The cities the size of Bristol, the cities the size of Glasgow, it's too much. And nobody can get a house, nobody can get a doctor's appointment, nobody can get a dentist, as I said. You can't go anywhere on the roads because they're so busy. Something has got to change. And we're going to come up with some ideas for you today. So keep your calls coming in. We're going to talk to Isabel Oakshot in the next hour. We're going to bring you more uh, of an analysis of the statistics. We'll talk to Peter Cardwell some more. Also, we're going to speak uh, with a woman by the name of Sarah Carter, who's the founder of Save Our Scampton campaign. This is, of course, RAF Scampton. Uh, which is under siege at the moment because the government wants to put a load of asylum seekers uh, into a former RAF base there. And we'll find out from Sarah why she wants to stop that from happening. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Isabel Oakshot, uh, who is, of course, Talk TV's international editor. Um, I watched you last night on the talk, and I know you, this subject came up uh, then, Isabel. Uh, these WhatsApp messages, of which there are, it would seem, gazillions, uh, for want of a better word. Um, you know from the, the Matt Hancock experience that he had millions of them. Um, how many of these WhatsApp messages are they going to be getting their hands on? Well, nowhere near as many as they would like, um, and that will still probably be more than they can cope with. Mm. I mean, what there is here is an enormous logistical problem for the COVID inquiry if they get what they want uh, versus the not at all surprising reluctance of ministers and ex-ministers and their advisers who are not willing to just hand over reams and reams of these messages. And the reason is because a lot of the stuff in there will be dynamite. Right. I know it will be. Um, having seen what's in the what's uh, the Matt Hancock WhatsApps, and of course the Daily Telegraph in the lockdown files expose, they only published what was demonstrably in the public interest. So have a think about what might have been in there that was left out, right. which would be very publicly interesting, but doesn't meet the journalistic bar of public interest. Well, you can just imagine how all these other politicians are feeling as they try to go back <laughs> through their messages. I mean, there's just far too much stuff there for them to get through. I do worry that a lot of those who have been asked to hand over their messages will have deleted them or will be busy deleting them now. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? Baroness Hallett has already said that she might actually proffer um, criminal charges against some of these ministers if they refuse to cooperate. But we already know from Lord Bethel, for example, that he already somehow managed to delete all of his WhatsApp messages because he said he transferred his phone and uh, incredibly he didn't know how to move the messages over. So, I mean, there's very easy get-out clauses. He came up with about three different excuses for why his WhatsApps were missing. Certainly in the Matt Hancock messages, pretty much the whole of March 2020 was missing in an extremely suspicious way. So, look, politicians are going to delete or will already have deleted a lot of the raw material. I think uh, Baroness Hallett, who's trying really hard to do a job in virtually impossible circumstances, 
should issue a clear warning to anyone who deletes their WhatsApp messages or other informal government records which are pertinent to the inquiry, that that is an offence to her inquiry and that they have a civic duty to hand that material over. And you see this differently to the whole Boris Johnson diary checkers story, don't you? Because it's not... Because I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm in agreement with you on this, that, you know, I don't really care about what happened at Chequers, but I do care about what happened during COVID. Absolutely. I am so tired of the narrative about Boris Johnson and his illegal um, gatherings, whatever they may be. I think we know, we now all know beyond any reasonable doubt that he, he broke his own rules on multiple occasions. Yeah. He's no longer prime minister. He's paid a heavy political price for what he did. I don't see any gain whatsoever from further investigations. It's a stupid waste of police time. And actually, the police should push back and say, you know what, in a a world of limited resources, let's just leave this one. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, I don't know whether you've had a look at The Sun this morning, but they've got a story on their page 23 about Calvin Klein being the latest um, company to sort of go woke with a ridiculous looking advert. Uh, showing two men, uh, transgender men, modelling a sports bra. Um, It's possibly one of the most unattractive ads I've ever seen. And it takes me back to all those years ago when Calvin Klein actually used to do quite cool ads. He used to quite like looking at them because they were in black and white and they were quite sexy. And they they made you look and they made you think, oh, maybe I'll go and buy some of that stuff. Right. I mean, adverts are supposed to be aspirational. That's the point, Mm. that they pull you in, they make you want to be like the characters in the adverts, the models and so on. Nike very recently got itself into all sorts of trouble by doing almost exactly the same thing. Uh, And it backfired on them. Uh, And brands that go down this route, I think, are taking a very, very high risk strategy. You know, Victoria's Secret is another one that suffered hugely. Um, Its brand suffered a lot during the Me Too years uh, because it was seen to be kind of sexist and promoting the wrong things and then swung too far the other way and is busy uh, promoting all sorts of plus size figures and you know body positivity and all of that people don't buy beautiful lingerie on the basis that it looks good on the fattest of models you know they want to imagine that they are like a victoria's secret angel yes um, and I, I just I just hate all this stuff. It's an, an absolute nonsense. It really is. But you have to wonder what's going on in the heads of the people at these companies because they must have seen what's happened to places like Bud Light and even to Adidas and where people are saying, we're going to boycott them, we're not going to buy their stuff anymore. You know, the general public, much like those that, uh, that don't want mass immigration into this country, are not interested. Well, what's perhaps going on in the minds of those people that sit around a table and say, wouldn't it be a great idea if we used a trans person uh, to advertise a sports bra is that they'll get loads of free publicity because people like you and I, uh, Mike, will be frothing at the mouth and debating it. (laughs) And and as a result, they get loads of free advertising. So maybe they sell some more sports bras to a few trans people. I don't know. Uh, Ultimately... I suspect that they will lose more customers than they will gain from this. Yes. Now, I was interested in a piece that you tweeted out about. Um, well, I'm not going to ask you about it now because we'll maybe talk about it another time. But uh, you talk about the NHS and how uh, they could learn a thing or two from Dubai. Um, are you able to give us a little taste of that? I would love to talk about that in more detail when we've got more time. But in brief, didn't expect to have a experience of healthcare in Dubai when I was there for work last week. 
the treatment there, the efficiency is extraordinary. It wasn't very expensive. I had to pay as you go. Uh, but for a couple of hundred quid, I was able to get an enormous number of very detailed tests. Yeah. I also had 45 minutes with a, a doctor, more than I've seen with a NHS GP probably for the last five years combined. That was all less than 200 pounds mm. and was then able to get follow ups, including uh, a bone scan actually on site. Uh, you know, when you ask them, how do I make that appointment? How long will it take? How do I get the yeah. results? You are met with bewildered stares. It all happens right away. Immediately, yeah. Well, I've always found this. Whenever I've been abroad, um, not so much now because I'm a bit older and slightly more intelligent uh, and cleverer, but my kids were always ending up in hospital in some place or other wherever we were on holiday. And it was always better everywhere, in, no matter whether it was Italy or Mexico or America or Spain or France, it was always better than the experience than any NHS experience I'd ever had with them. Yes, and maybe you have to hand over 30 quid, 40 quid, 50 quid. Maybe you have to hand over, as I did, ultimately, almost 500 pounds. But I got an amount of treatment in the space of a day or two yeah. that would take months and, and frankly, isn't obtainable here. Mm. And the funny thing is, it isn't even readily and efficiently available in the private sector here. A lot of NHS patients are opting out of the NHS in desperation, using their life savings to pay for treatment. And then they are meeting with this horrible reality, which is that the private sector here is also swamped. Why? Because we're using the same tiny pool of doctors and nurses for the NHS and in the private sector, we simply do not have enough healthcare professionals. No, it's a shocking state of affairs. But Isabel, listen, thanks very much indeed. And uh, nice to see you again. Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor there, uh, talking about a great many things, including, of course, the big story of the day, uh, which is the illegal and legal migrant figures that have been released today uh, from 2022. The number of people arriving by small boat reached 45,755. We're going to talk about that now with Sarah Carter because she's the founder of Save Our Scampton campaign. Uh, Scampton, of course, an RAF base uh, in this country where apparently uh, the asylum seekers are likely to go, according to the Home Office, uh, to a small, effectively a small village where they will practically outnumber the numbers of people who already live there. Sarah, very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me again. Tell us a little bit about um, where you are at the moment, because obviously the Home Office, I'm assuming, is still keen to place the asylum seekers in the RAF base. What's the latest? Well, as far as we know, yeah, what we hear from sort of outside sources, because as yet they still haven't been in contact with us. You know, we're in a state of 700 people and we've not had any consultation. What we, the information that we get is fed to us from sort of our council and the press. And so have you had no conversations yet at all with the Home Office then? No, not one. I'm uh, meeting with our um, MP tomorrow to stress that he must um, push to get um, the Home Office to come to a meeting to actually consult with um, residents here. Right. Uh, they have they have said in other meetings that they are going to meet with us, but as yet we have still, this is um, 11 weeks in now, and we still haven't heard a, a dicky bird from right. them. And Scampton, of course, for those who don't know, is is the home of the Dambusters squadron during World War II. Um, it's a relatively small community that you live in, as you say, but there's talk that something like the first 200 
asylum seekers we moved into temporary accommodation at the RAF station uh, in mid-August. So it's not very far away. No, not at all. And that, that has been postponed because it was supposed to be the 3rd of July and they've pushed it back to August now. Oh. Yeah, um, the, the first 200 are, are due to come, well, supposed to come in August and we'll be using the, the former Barrett blocks, um, but it's only suitable for 200. So the rest will be placed in modular containers. Right. Um, on hard standing around the camp. And as far as the camp is concerned, is it is it fenced in? I mean, it says here that um, the site has, has, has going to have catering facilities, going to have healthcare, going to have 24-7 security, but they're not actually locked in there, are they? No, not at all. They're, they're, they're free to come and go as they please up to um, a week at a time, I believe, um, on so many occasions in a set time period. But um, no, we where we are, the residents, um, we're actually on the former married quarters right. to the base. Okay. So um, 26 years ago, the, the properties were sold off to a housing association and they could sell them. So we privately own our properties. There are some military properties still on the camp because right. it's an overflow for um, RAF Waddington mm. because there was, there's not enough um, housing there. So 26 years ago, they put a, a fence a wire fence between the the campsite and the housing side when they started selling them off. So no, they're just going to be the other side of the fence. And we we have um, a primary school and a nursery here. So obviously parents are very concerned. Well, yeah. And there's only 200 of you there, right? And they're talking about bringing a couple of thousand, maybe more uh, asylum seekers in. No, there's about 700. We've got 689 registered to vote on um the married quarters but um i did i did notice um after i spoke with um kevin on monday yeah um you had a gentleman ring in uh george from yorkshire saying that he'd done four tours um at scampton um one staying in the single man's and three tours on um the married quarters yeah and said that the housing is perfectly adequate now, I don't know how long it's it's been since he last did a tour here, but the housing is actually privately owned. So I live a stone's throw away on the former married quarters. We own our house. We have a mortgage on it. You know, so they are not available. It's the camp and most of the buildings there are derelict. There's asbestos in them. They're boarded up. So there's very limited accommodation mm. and services on there it wasn't built to house 2,000 people right so you know there's no infrastructure there and one of the chief immigration officers a a former chief immigration officer did an interview um last week and said you know oh it's a a perfect location I I doubt he's ever been here and not in the last 10 20 years because it is not suitable and the idea is just ludicrous Mm. But this seems to be the problem with all the sites that they've picked, because there's another site down in uh, Sussex in Vexhill, which is supposed to be a, um, a disused former military prison. But again, like you described um, uh, Scampton, it's not in any fit state to put anybody in at the moment. So they're going to have to spend a lot of money on it, first of all. And in the end, although it has a fence around it, um, it's in a very residential area um, where there are lots of uh, families with, with young children. And it's just not appropriate at all to put, you know, mostly young men into that setting well no a lot um the raf only 
ceased using this as, as a base on the 31st of March this year. And because of that, people think, well, they've only just left, you know, the infrastructure must be there. Mm. But the, it was limited staff. You know, we, we basically had the red arrows here and, and that was, you know, all that was happening. So right. it was a very small crew, very small amount of staff that were here because it is not suitable, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a lot of people here. Right. So, yeah, we, we, we don't have any services here. Um, when the RAF moved out on um, the 31st of March, our shop on the married quarters side closed. So our nearest shop is now several miles away down a country lane with no footpath. And the, the um, city is four or five miles, again, down a 50 mile hour road with limited footpath. And there is accidents on there all the time. So, you know, as... In regard to where we actually are, it is not suitable. The um, infrastructure there is not suitable. And what what sort of upsets me is that the, the civil servants working for Sorella actually told them in February, no, this is not a suitable site, but mm. she's just ignored that. Now, what else has she ignored mm. and just pushing ahead with, you know, um, with, with regards to stopping the boats or processing people? What is she being told and then just going, oh, do you know what? Thanks for your advice. You know, although you know best, I'm just going to like overrule you and mm. decide to do this my way. What qualifications has she has? does she have to override these civil servants' messages to her? Well, it looks like at the moment, according to the figures we've got today, 97% of all the people arriving on small boats in 2022 are still waiting to find out if their asylum-seeking application is going to even be granted. So the numbers are growing every single day. We also know from the other series of figures that came out today that 76,000 other people came legally claiming asylum. So, I mean, even filling up whatever it is they can fill up in Scrampton is going to be a drop in the ocean. Yeah, I think with the better weather on, obviously they expect more to come over when the weather's nice because yeah. it's safer. You know, the, we'll, we'll probably sort of fill those spaces in, at Scampton in two weeks, maybe, yeah, if, if that. But whenever um, they're asked about, you know, the whole Scampton situation, the, the first thing sh that's mentioned is this seven million. You know, we're spending seven million a day on yeah. hotels. Now, that the proposed people to come here are coming from Manston. Mm. They're not taking them out of the hotels. So that figure is not going to go down. What figure I'd like to know is how many people have you processed? Yeah. Don't tell me about like how much it's costing and where's this money coming yeah. from? Because in, in sort of people that I've spoken to, that money should be coming from the foreign aid budget, not mm. from, you know, our, our budget as such. But what figures are being processed how many people have you processed because this is why there's a backlog and that you're trying to put people here because other people aren't doing their job properly mm. so you you know we're not going to do our job properly but here you go you you deal with the situation that we've created exactly right and and also how long do they expect people to live there for how long do they expect these asylum seekers to stay there well they say it's temporary um they've said sort of two to three years and they, they're sort of trying temporary. to make promises yeah, temporary is two to three years because this emergency situation that's been created, I'm sorry, emergency is like this has just happened, not it's snowballed, you know, over several years because we've not done our job properly. Right. Um, but yeah, two to three years in which time we're going to lose as a community 
and a, a county an amazing regeneration opportunity you know and it, it doesn't oh, it, i can't find the words it's sometimes just as hell, to, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I, what I want to say, you, you can't broadcast, no. but I, yeah, it is so frustrating the fact that, you know, that um, Rishi Sunak's all about levelling up and, you know, making things better for people. We've got this deal on the table, they're ready to go. And all of a sudden, the next day, we're told, no, actually, we don't want you to have this investment. We don't want you to have an immersive um, museum celebrating the the history of the dam busters yeah. and you know th- our heritage and the red arrows and provide a thousand jobs i mean that's a thousand jobs for the actual site after the 250 construction workers have been in to do their piece they yeah. want to you know so the the jobs and the the money that it's going to bring 300 million of investment but that's going to snowball because obviously it's going to bring people in so the hotels locally the restaurants the other sites are also going to have sort of more tourists come mm. to visit them so i just do not get how they think that this is a suitable idea no it's hard to believe but listen we'll keep in touch sarah and we'll see what we can do uh, to fight them off uh, basically because it sounds like the maddest idea anybody ever had sarah carter there for the founder of the save our scampton campaign uh, what a ridiculous state of affairs we find ourselves in thousands of tens of thousands of asylum seekers need uh, homes in this country what's the government going to do it's going to put them in uh, RAF bases. It's going to put them in hotels. It's going to provide houses for them. No wonder they keep coming, for heaven's sake. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's talk to Alan, who's in Glasgow. Hi, Alan. Hello there, Graham. Good afternoon. Uh, or good morning, I should say. What can I do for you? Hold on to a ton of volume off the Yes, please do, yeah, because there's an echo otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to tell me? Yeah, uh, some years ago... After I left the police, I worked in the civil service right. and I worked in the passport office in uh-huh. Glasgow, right. which at that time dealt with all the postal applications from the London area in addition to Scotland. So you had a well, I'm quite busy. Yeah. And um, 0.03% was the official figure for fraudulent applications. What was the, what was the figure? Uh, I, I missed that. How much was it? 0.03%. Uh, I would have said it was 10 times that. Yes. I was just better at catching them, 50%. Right. But it was an open secret in the home office at that time that the most dishonest applicants, they were either from Nigeria or Bangladesh. Yeah. But they didn't dare breathe that outside. They couldn't say that. They'd be crucified for that. Uh, But, uh, yeah, to issue a passport was much easier than uh, getting someone's uh, application, such as the asylum seekers, because I demanded the necessary uh, documents, Mm. but these guys either burn their passports or they throw them in the English channel. So how did you deal with that? If if they said they had no documents, what did you do then? If they don't, well, if the Home Office don't have documents, they've got to try and seek it out. It's a bit like this, um, what do you call it, trans business. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I identify as a woman. So there you go, I'm a woman now, right. and you must call me Mrs. Alan, Alana. Right. You know, and that's, that's what they want to do, mm. and that's what they're basically forced to do. It's very difficult to find 
somebody's true identity once they've thrown it away. Yes. And the one well, it's almost away, impossible, I would think, isn't it? Uh, pretty much. I remember one time I nearly ended up in the High Court mm. because a gentleman used a passport that I had issued right. to flee the country after committing a murder. Right. It wow. turned out, yeah, they looked through all the documents and said, perfect. You took six weeks to issue it, you challenged everything, and you documented it. So no problem at all. I think you pled guilty. Uh, but it was interesting right. because it was, it was an honour killing. His sister had fallen in love with a Glasgow gentleman, right. a young man, and he wanted to kill him. But he couldn't get out of the country without a passport. Right. So I landed on my desk and I said, no way. And I wrote back to him. And eventually he made a complaint against me. About you? Say that, yeah. Amazing. So that was quite common. If you didn't issue a false uh, passport, don't make the they, they would just report you. Yeah, the whole system seems to be creaking, uh, if not broken already. Alan, thanks in Glasgow. Uh, Got to run because we're running a little bit late. Lots and lots of you want to get in touch. We will get to all of you. We will get to more uh, of your messages as well. Uh, Sylvia in Cardiff says, uh, I flipped the channel over earlier. I only see Rishi taking a question from Alison Hammond's eight-year-old neighbour, has the world gone completely mad? Well, we might play a little bit of that uh, coming up. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.